This is JFM Podcast. Welcome back to the show. It's still Let's Talk on your Super Feel Good radio station, J101.9 FM. And we're on to the program Voices of Peace, which is proudly brought to you by the International Alert Nigeria in partnership with Clean Foundation and funding support from Open Society Foundation. And International Alert Nigeria is motivated by the belief that peace is within our power. And International Alert is one of the world's leading peace-building organizations with over 30 years of experience supporting communities, advising governments, organizations, and companies on how to build peace. And today, um, it's a good day to look at security sector reforms, and we're going to focus in on human rights. And we're joined this morning by Mr. Nantip Joseph. A lovely morning to you. Welcome to the Thank show. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Oh, let's, let's get to the let's go to the discuss this morning let's talk about um security service reforms and we've heard it over and over again how um our security agencies well maybe for them as a people or an agency they lament when it comes to their reforms we also have citizens to also speaking out and asking for the reforms of security agencies and we know that insecurity is the greatest hindrance to sustainable development in nigeria and human rights are central to security service reforms and security institutions have a duty to respect protect and fulfill human rights and security um service reforms should be designed to ensure that that happens that means that security institutions must be accountable to the people that they serve and they must operate in a way that respects human dignity and the rule of law uh, let's let's talk about that quickly and uh, we we've always seen most of the time there's always like almost a clash with security agencies and even the people living in a certain community why do we why do we see that happen well thank you so much uh You've 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 done justice to the topic already. So I really <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have much to say, but you, you, you're here to talk. So let's talk. That's, that, so that's I it. I hope I was going to say something, but you've summarized it all, so I could just borrow from what you've said. All right. You know, actually, when we talk about security sector, what is the security sector? Mm. My little understanding is the security sector refers to all. You know, institutions of the state with statutory responsibility of protecting the security of the state and its people. Yeah. And when we talk about reform, reform simply means to make changes with a view to improving the current state of a particular situation. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, the concept of security sector governance and reforms, you know, refers to a process in the in a Western, Western-based Western international development and democratization that aims at, you know, ensuring that the security sector is very effective in terms of security provisioning mm. and good governance yes. in line with core principles such as the freedom of information, you know, the rule of law and respect for, you know, human rights, as you've rightly pointed out. Mm. So for us to be here this morning talking about security sector reform, you know, and a focus on human rights, it then tells whoever, you know, uh, hears this kind of a topic is that there is something fundamentally wrong with our security sector, hence the need to interrogate 
the sector with a view to seeing the gaps, yeah. identifying the gaps with a view to correcting the gaps so that, you know, it serves the, 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 the purpose for which it was established in the first place. And that is, you know, the human rights. Yeah. And you are like you rightly pointed again, the human right is the crux for which we have security establishments in the first place. Now, when we go back to the social contract theory that speaks about the emergence of the state, you know, it says that in the Hobbesian state of nature, that life was nasty, brutish, short, and it was the survival of the fetus. So the strong survives at the expense of the weak. Mm. And then people decided to, to look at it and say, no, we cannot go far like this. Now they entered into what the theories call the social contract. Mm. Now people decided to surrender some of their inalienable rights to an authority. And in return, the authority owes them one thing, the protection of lives and properties. Mm. According to that theory, that was what gave birth to the emergence of the state. Now, if you look at the whole notion of security, it's human-centered. Mm. So humans are the agents, means, and even the ends of security. And the protection of the fundamental human rights is the core for which even government emerge in the first place. Mm. So nobody would argue, I believe, that looking at the Nigerian security sector, we have a lot of gaps. There are contradictions. Mm. Just like you pointed again, because I earlier said you've summarized <laughs> you everything. Summarized it, so yeah. I'll continue to make reference to what you've said. Mm. Now, looking at our own sector, there are quite a lot of gaps. If you talk about mutual distrust now, the citizens and the security agencies, mm. there is a huge gap in that regard that a lot of Nigerians do not trust the security agencies. Mm. You know, regardless of what the police will continue to tell us that our police is your friend, the man out there knows that it's just a theory that is not being practiced. Just like we're told that you don't need to you don't need to pay for bails, but we all know that when you go there, I've had experience with a friend there, and we had to pay even though I call a lawyer, but we ended up paying. And because why do people have to pay? Because the conditions there are quite terrible that you rather, you know, just be molested, just subject yourself to, you know. Paying, even when they say you ought not to pay, yeah. just for you to get out alive because you have people to take care of them. So there are quite a lot of contradictions in our security sectors that actually needs to be reviewed yeah. in order for them to deliver the promises for which they were established in the first place. I, I want to get an understanding for on something, actually. As much as um, security sector reforms are technical, they are also political. Where, where, where does the political angle come from? You know, if you ask me, I will tell you that the security sector is it. I see it from a three-pillar point. Mm. You have the security agencies or establishments. You have uh, uh, the justice system also has to play a key role there. And then you have the society. Now, initially, I talked about, you know, uh, secu security sector governance and reforms. Mm. Now, governance is a critical part of it because the security agencies are establishment of the state. Yes, they are. Now, they are part of the holistic, you know, uh, compact of governance. Now, they are agents of the state to serve the state in a particular aspect for the overall delivery of good governance to the people. So, they have a critical role to play there. And then, 
that's why even if you look at, at the National Assembly, for instance, the Senate and the House of Representatives, you have, even at the maybe some state House of Assembly as well, you have uh, standing committees that has to do with all these respective security agencies yes. to play oversight functions. Mm. Now you ask the question, have they really been playing these oversight functions? If they have been doing it as it is expected, why do we still have these gaps in terms of service delivery as far as the security sector is concerned? Mm. So, you know, while we indict the fact that, yes, the security sector has a lot of gaps, we cannot squarely indict the security agencies or establishments alone. We have to also extend the indictment to those who have you know, oversight functions to play as far as the effective workability of these establishments are concerned. And also the society also has a complementary role to play. Mm. Because, you know, many a times we make comparative analysis with advanced society where, you know, the security sector seems to be more efficient. They are efficient so much not because they are magicians or they have any magic wand. Mm. The cooperation of the society in terms of giving them, you know, uh, credible intelligence information real time helps them in the kind of effective service delivery they are able to you know give to their citizenry mm -hmm. but the same cannot be set over you know so setting here in nigeria even though the society is also trying in terms of giving early warnings to security agencies to a large extent the response part part of it has always been you know the 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 issue where we have huge gap mm. All right. All right. Um, my, my question for you. Um, recently, I saw where a certain financial security agency in Nigeria invaded the house of a Nigerian without serving the person notice, where they were pretty much, I don't use the word, I'm trying to use the word rogue, but for lack of a better word, they were quite roguish in their attitude and behavior to this person. For the average Nigerian, when we talk about, you know, the security reforms and the relationship, especially between security agencies and Nigeria, what are the proper modus operandi? Because a lot of times, like you also mentioned, we go to, you go to a security police station, for example, we get to pay bail, even though they say bail is free. And many Nigerians do not even know what their rights are. So as, as a professional, what are the modus operandi? To get arrested, um, to report a case, to file a case. What are the modus operandi? So we know some of the some of our rights as people, and know when we have flaunted that right as a people, and when you know security agencies are doing their jobs. Because there are times when it seems as though there is a interplay. You think you are on the right side of the law, however, you're on the wrong side of the law because we don't even know what am I supposed to do as a person. So, for example, you are on the road um, late at night. And then security agencies ask you for your form of identification. Some people find it offensive, and then you know they raise doors and all of that. So please, for some of some of those simple modus operandi from the security agencies, and what are our basic human rights, especially in terms of relating with these people? You know, I think uh, where we some of these contradictions are quite avoidable, if you ask me, because if our security personnel or agencies do understand the fact that they are there to serve the people, not to oppress the people. Then, even if one is ignorant of certain things, there are ways you can explain to the person. But unfortunately, our security agencies are quite predictable and repressive in nature. 
Now they operate as if they are against the people for which they were established to protect them. And then it makes it very difficult. Just like, you know, when I was traveling one time and, you know, there were road safety on the way and the driver stopped and gave them something. And then when he came into the car, you know, we started a conversation with some people. Why did you give them? He said, these people, if they mean to keep you here, they will keep you regardless of whether your, certificate, uh, your driving license and everything are intact. They will find a way to keep you here, except if they don't mean to do it. Mm. Now, you see, these are the kind of impressions that people have about our establishments. Mm. Now, so even the VIOs, I've had that several people express this kind of reservations about them. So these people operate in such a way that they are so repressive to the people they are supposed to protect. Now they see the ordinary citizen as their enemy. For instance, the right to peaceful protest is a fundamental human right, freedom of association, for instance. But the same police in Nigeria is a constitutional thing. You go and read the constitution, you'll see it there under the fundamental human rights, mm. freedom of association. Except, I know, except in situations of complex emergencies or security threats, that certain rights are taken off the individuals. But you can beat me that if you take Plateau State, for instance, now, we are relatively stable. Yeah. And then you decide to go on a peaceful protest. The police, for instance, may decide to stop you by saying you needed to get a permit from them, which to me, I think it's not the right thing. Because it is your right as a, as, as, as a citizen of this country. Protest. Yes. I, I was that, going to. Please go on, please go yes. on. But know. they would insist for whatever ulterior motive they want to protect at the moment. Mm. So they will tell you, no, you don't have the right to go on peaceful protests. You need to get an express permission from them, which is trampling upon the fundamental human rights of the people. And there are quite a lot of other cases. There's this guy that has been in police detention for over two months now. And then the story I read, I've been following the story from the one when he was arrested on Twitter, that it was... You know, like a substituted arrest. They came for his brother. They couldn't they find couldn't his brother. Find so they him. took him into custody. Yes. And the guy has been there for over two months. And they have, have followed it to discover that there have been two court, you know, pronouncements that they should release Listen, this guy. But they haven't. They, they haven't. haven't released this guy. The guy is still there. Now, there is this, uh, the, the Habeas Couples uh, Act of 1679, way back in England during the reign of uh, King Charles II that says it was it was an act that has been somehow you know domesticated globally that the the act aims to protect the citizens from unlawful detention so you shouldn't detain someone for more than 48 hours without you know uh, a judge saying you do that okay. but in this case this guy has been in detention for over 2 months even after after because yes, of law. Yes. Um, my, my last question for you is many people, especially when it comes to Nigerian security, you know, um, architecture and the kind of laws and how they behave, there are people who believe that because a lot of the, the core of these security agencies were created pre independence, some people believe that there is a oppressive nature to the psychology first of the of the laws or you know of these agencies as well as the trainings are not enough to destigmatize their minds in a way that they serve the people enough do you hold such opinions i think to some extent i hold such opinions but 
I have a reservation. Okay. Yes, it is quite true that if you check our security establishments, mm -hmm. the police and the army, they were, you know, colonial creation. And they were created at that time not to actually service the people, but as repressive instruments that the colonialists used to suppress the people, to compel compliance from the people. But 63 years after independence, should we continue to push the buck on them? No. 63 years is good time enough for us to have deconstructed some of these poisonous narratives or things we inherited that were not in tandem with our own realities. But I just can't explain why we chose to still hold on to some of these things that we know that the history, you know, isn't in tandem with our current realities today. So I quite agree that if we look, if we are to interrogate the history, the origins of these institutions, of course, they have, you know, an oppressive origin. But we've come a long way as a country that is independent to have said no to these narratives and then mm -hmm. change the narratives to have establishments, institutions that, you know, uh, speaks to our realities, values, our people, and understands the modus operandi that are in tandem with democracy, the rule of law. All right. Since, since we're talking rights. about the security um, sector reforms and its focus on human rights, and you mentioned the fact that there has, there's definitely a gap somewhere. Yeah. So how then do we bridge this gap? How then do we get the secu our security agencies and then citizens of a state or of a country to be able to work in tandem with the security agencies? As you mentioned, it's always a bridge of mutual understanding. Yeah. It's always a bridge of... Um, not regarding for some security agencies will say citizens don't regard them as anything <laughs> you you get that complaint oh. all the time you also talk about the welfare of some of the security agencies it just makes them sometimes pushes pushes them to do things that ordinarily they shouldn't do so how then do we bridge this gap all right you know it's 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 a fact that there are quite a lot of contradictions and what we're doing at the moment you know, bridging the gap to me is a process. It's mm. not an event. It's just one thing you can just do today and then you say, I've done it. No, it's a process. And what we are currently doing now, to me, is also one of the processes of getting there. And then we also, the civil society has a huge role to play in this regard also. Mm -hmm. That in terms of setting agendas, agenda setting for, you know, the critical stakeholders that matters, the National Assembly, you know, the police service commissioned all the hierarchies of all these security establishments we need to set agenda for them mm. and the society also has a complementary role to play whether we like it or not the the workability of this security sector it's something that requires the complementary role support and effort of the community as well and so we must also emphasize you know this concept of community policing so strong to the extent because the truth is i've also tried to interrogate why systems worked in other places mm. most especially the security and i discovered that the people the community or the society plays a complementary role in terms of volunteering information to the mm. security agencies and because they are so professional in responding to threats real time it has, you know, continued to yield desired result for them. Mm. So I think we have a lot to do. We have to sustain the conversation around these topics until yeah. such a time that we're able to, you know, get desired result. 
Well, we, we, we still need the, the uh, when, when you're talking about we need to continue to have this conversation, the eighth assembly did it, the ninth assembly did it, uh, but it just seems like it's just a you know, we talk and talk, it's verbal, we talk about it and we don't see anything. I think one of the problems we have established and we're still going to continue to establish is a lack of implementation when it comes to the side of the government. Uh, what else can be done if apart from just talking, talking, and talking about it? I think we have to continue to talk and set agendas <laughs> for them until such a time. You see, for me, one day I believe in this country to turn around things is not difficult. Mm. One day we'll get that leader with vision. Once we're able to get a visionary leader that understands these things and is so passionate about transforming this country, mm. I'm telling you, a lot of these things will take place naturally. Our but we cannot say, ah, because they are not doing anything. So we should, we should just stop so talking. So we have to continue. One mm. day that leader will come. The Lee Kuan Yew of Nigeria one day will come. <laughs> the Lee Kuan Yew, yeah. Exactly. Mm. Because if you check the histories of nations, at a particular point in time, one leader rules and turn around the things, the fortunes mm. of the country, and then things begin to work. So I believe that one day we'll also have our own, you know, turn around and turn we'll, around we'll be singing Nigeria. sweet songs. Exactly. Ah. And then we'll see, ah, the father <laughs> of new Nigeria who mm. came around and then made things to work, you know. So All we right. just have to, unfortunately, stay optimistic. Exactly. All right. Yes, www.facebook.com forward slash JFM Joss and on Twitter at JFM Joss. We're asking you, what do you think about the accountability of security agencies to citizens' human rights? And we'll read some of your comments right now. On Facebook, Godwin Sule says, Good morning, Plato, Nigeria. Large security situation has been, has become, uns- has been serious in Nigeria today. Seeing people carrying firearms every day. If you're not a federal government security, you are not entitled to own a firearm. We should stop creating problems in our nation in the name of region and tribe. We need to do the right things. For God's sake, SSR should process that so that we can hold security accountable whenever um, anything happens. David Mark Sambo says, um, the issue on insecurities in Nigeria is man-made. There are elites who are benefiting from the insecurities that have refused to end in the country. It is only in Nigeria that terrorists negotiate with governments and government carry out attacks in communities for hours and nobody will show up and it is only in Nigeria that terrorists will attack communities, claim responsibility of the attack, yet nothing happens and they go scot-free. Victor Barge says, The security in our nation is not encouraging at all. The highest government budget is consumed by security agencies in the country. Therefore, security agencies should be held accountable for their responsibilities and the people deserve fairness, justice, equality and transparency in, t- in terms of handling security issues by all the agencies. But modern matrices we are taught in school that security of lives and property is the primary function of the government but never true in nigerian context why the nigerian citizens have been oppressively conquered by the five percent political class we cannot hold our leaders accountable for security failures because we are slaves to those we elected what a national disgrace to the office of the citizenship until we rise up to our right the political conspiracy against the citizenry will be endless nigerian youth wake up he says these old men recycling government cannot deliver constitutional security to us nigeria is a sad comedy indeed Dimas Bala says the security of our lives and properties is very paramount and any government that fails to protect lives and properties has no reason to remain in office security and that guarantee atmosphere of peace is a part um, is a pathway to development. He says, let us be peaceful. And finally, Albert Akaya Dagza says, human rights is the foundation for the formation of security institutions and agencies. Hence, the need 
for the security agencies and institutions to go beyond accountability to the citizens to protecting the rights of these citizens but most often the reverse is the case in nigeria where our security agencies have become gods over the citizens thereby creating fear and terror to citizens reform and reorientation of this security is necessary he says and um, i think i have just one more Okay, Asabagun Francis says, The issue of insecurities persists in the country. Can't we try another page of how to approach or tackle these issues headlong? Compromise, negligence, culpability, business, bad policies, and self centered people, he says. Well, thank you all for putting in your comments on our social media page, but we definitely have to wrap up on the show this morning because we have to pay some bills. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Nantip Joseph, for coming, and I'm sure that we would have you some other time so you can talk extensively. It's my pleasure. Thank you so this. much. Thank you for coming. The news comes up by 10 o'clock. You want to keep it as locked on to J101.9 FM. Good morning. Nasco. Thank you for listening to JFM Podcast.